How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome, guys, to the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. We have got a very exciting episode for you today. Uh, and we have two people from Renaissance Periodization. We have Jared Feather and Mike Isratel. Uh, obviously, you all know Mike, but Jared is a natural pro bodybuilder. So very exciting to have him on the show and really, really well educated, really, really comes out of some great stuff. So he has a lot to add to this conversation as well. And we have some exciting topics to go over. And I wanted to get Jared on the show just because um, he he's kind of in the trenches with us guys as well. Uh, hasn't been training quite as long as Mike and has some different experiences and is all about bodybuilding. So he hasn't, um, he isn't doing all the jujitsu and stuff that Mike's doing on top of kind of the bodybuilding aspect. So that'd be really exciting. The first topic we want to get into is two a day training. So Mike is currently concurrently kind of putting bodybuilding together with jujitsu and uh, Jared is doing kind of, I, well, I assume still daily two daily sessions. Mm. so i don't know if uh, jared you want to talk about how you're doing that how you've set it up uh, what considerations you have to take into account like fatigue i guess is a big thing because hitting things kind of fresh twice you could get kind of carried away potentially and i guess nutritional considerations are really big with that yeah totally so uh right now my split has basically been four days out of my six days per week are two-a-day training sessions. Uh, the AM sessions, typically, unless I'm just having the two days that are uh, single training sessions are typically my leg days, my leg sessions. Um, but whenever I am doing my two-a-day sessions, I'm more so focusing on the main muscle groups in that certain uh, focus. So if I'm doing pulling, then the main muscle groups would be obviously rhomboids, lats, and those things. If I'm doing pushing, the main muscle groups would be my chest, um, sometimes front delts if I do end up having some sort of overhead press in there. But this really allows me, because the way that I like to set up my training is more of the push, you know, push, pull, push legs, pull, split type, mm -hmm. uh, repeating that two times per week. This allows me to emphasize a certain, as you guys talked about last uh, podcast, actually, I believe, so if I'm emphasizing, you know, certain fiber types of horizontal pushing, and then I can, and then later on in the training session hit the rest of my sets for my vertical pressing, uh, if that's my light vertical pressing day. So instead of having to pick and choose, you know, I'm going to do a, a couple tricep movements here too, maybe, maybe a front delt movement here. I can really blast my horizontal with maybe three exercises. Uh, I include down sets as an exercise. So maybe like bench press, then my down sets on my bench press, and then maybe like a fly. And then instead of having to move into like tricep exercises, I can now go ahead and hit my secondary vertical day on that day. Mm. And later on in the PM, I can do a couple tricep exercises, possibly a little bit of delts, a little bit of biceps. That allows me 
uh, a couple things. Splitting my volume up for intensity reasons. Now, instead of being really blasted, uh, super fatigued for my tricep works and my delt and bicep work, a heavier intensity um, in the PM session for my triceps instead of maybe where my uh, skull crushers or jam presses or something were limited by my horizontal pressing and vertical pressing. If I were to do it all together, I can now have more volume there via the intensity. Yeah, totally. I guess a lot of people will be able to relate to that just because if you think, okay, you're doing a push day, you do your bench press, you might do an overhead press as well. And then by then your, your triceps are pretty fatigued. You're probably quite tired by yourself, but you've probably been training for half an hour, 45 minutes. <laughs> then go and hit your triceps after that. They're not going to get kind of the highest quality volume that you can prov provide. So if you can actually eat, recover, and then come back later, you can hit them with more intensity, with more focus. That's certainly what I found by splitting mine up. For sure. And then uh, with the parameters of, you know, intraset, how many sets you can do per session without sandbagging the rest of your workout and everything. This allows you to not have to like pick and choose your exercises kind of, because if I'm limited to say 20 sets uh, per session and I'm having to split that up between delts, biceps, uh, chest, front delts, triceps, it's really hard for me to say, okay, well, I guess I'm going to emphasize, you know, I'll do a, a horizontal pushing movement, a vertical pushing movement, a tricep movement, and a delt and bicep movement, and split all my sets up between that. And instead of having to do that, I can now PM, and I can have maybe, let's say, 15 sets per session on the day and split that. So that way you have 30 sets for the whole day instead of just, you know, the typical 20. Mm -hmm. So if I can chime in really quick, um, Jared's mentioning, which might uh, be a little bit... Um, counterintuitive but uh the um so he said that you know he has 20 sets per session or something like that a lot of people who are listening to this might might have a thought of like well okay like why not just do more sets like what does that mean 20 sets you just run out of time i mean i thought this guy was a pro bodybuilder i thought he made a lot of time <laughs> And, uh, and, and, you know, that's a valid point on their behalf. Why not, you know, just finish up with 25, 30 and just put it all together. The reality is what uh, Dr. Hoffman of Renaissance likes to call junk volume is that, you know, at some point you are so tired that even though you can move the weight, the weight that you can move for any meaningful number of reps is going to be so light. It's not even over that uh, intensity threshold. And certainly, we know that in, uh, volume and intensity both matter for hypertrophy. The heavier you can lift and still generate high volumes, the better. So even if we say, okay, we can still do some meaningful work, you're better off coming back later. Normally, you know, let's say 40 kilos for sets of 10, but you're so tired at the end of a big back workout that you can only curl 25 kilos for sets of 10. That might still meet our minimum criteria, of 60 for 65% for of one RM, but why not come back later in the day and hit 37.5 or even 40 K for 10 reps again? And I mean, that would be a really, that would be the best stimulus you could get. And, and it's funny because the, um, the, the people who originally came up with multi-day training or who really popularized it were weightlifters because to them peak power after very little fatigue drops off so much that it's uh, you're no longer training for power. If you're doing uh, cleans, for example, and you're fatigued, you're just moving weight around. You have to reduce the weight so much to get your cleans. 
you're not really training anything but just doing work. I mean, you're still burning calories. You're actually probably still building muscle, but you're not demonstrating any power development and you're not actually getting any more powerful. So what weightlifters started doing is splitting up their sessions into two or three day sessions to make sure that they had enough rest so that every time they came in, they did their best. And in bodybuilding, you certainly don't have to split it up that much. But yeah, the, you do get to a point where, you know, if you really are filling up your whole MAV or MRV with training like you should be if you want to be really, really good, do it all in, in the same sessions. And my own physique suffers from that. I have to put, you know, I only work out once a day for weights. And uh, ideally, I would love to train twice a day. My shoulders and biceps could benefit from that or everything else could benefit from that. So when people hear that, oh, you know, Jared saying, you know, it's only 20 sets per day or per session, they, they automatically think, well, why not more? Well, the, the quality of the work and the effect of the work on hypertrophy after sets for most people with legs, I think it's even less than that, starts to really, really go downhill. And it would just be better for you to come back later. And just while I'm on this rant really quick, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of what I would call a junior mistake when people put together workouts, not maybe for the first time, but maybe they just don't have a lot of experience. And they write these workouts, uh, like I was grading some of these workouts in uh, some classes I've taught before, programming classes. People will submit a workout to you and they'll say, okay, so I'm going to do Four, four by 12 pull downs, four by 12 rows, four by 12 cable rows, and then five by 10 underhand pull ups. I'm like, two problems. First of all, you can't do underhand pull ups after 25 sets of rows. You won't be able to do one pull up anymore. Uh, five by 10 is completely absurd. Olympic gymnast probably wouldn't be able to do that at that point. And second of all, I mean, you know, let's say you switched it. Okay, I can't do pull-ups. Let's do more pull-downs. What weight are you pulling down? 30 kilos at that point? What is that? Are you going to get jacked lifting 30 kilos? No. And really quick, a lot of people say, you know, you know, how much weight you're lifting, it's all about what the muscle feels, how fatigued it is. For metabolite accumulation, that's definitely true. For But that only contributes to a small part of growth. Most of your growth – doing meaningful repetitions, eight to 12 on the big compound movements and getting better at those is simply not the case that how the muscle feels matters. You give a shit what you feel. If there's not enough force transduction through your muscle fibers, percent plus at least if you're on at max, you're just not going to grow much. And if you really think that the way your muscles feel is what determines how good you get, why don't you just blast a drunk Come in training, hungover, you'll feel like total shit. It'll be the hardest workout you ever had as far as you feel, but meaningfully with as much force as your muscles are exposed to, it'll be almost nothing, and you don't grow like that. So it's not all about feeling. you got to move real weight, and there's no real way to get around that except for moving real weight. Yeah, I guess um, I've heard Brad Schoenfeld talk about how he doesn't really see workouts much longer than 45 minutes actually kind of, he says, past the 45-minute work kind of the intensity goes down, the, like you end up getting into that junk volume zone. And I think a lot of people get tempted, especially when they hear about maximum recoverable volume and they get the wrong kind of misconception and they think more is better. And then they get into the zone of, oh, I can do more, but the actual intensity and what people have turned to kind of those sets that are hard, like hard sets or kind of, I think Greg Knuckles called them kind of, I can't remember what the actual term was it, but it's like hard sets, effective sets mm -hmm. is what we're mm -hmm. talking about. Um, anything outside of that is kind of like, yeah, James Hoffman said, junk volume. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we've talked about in the past, I think it was like intra session MRV, kind of MRV within <laughs> workouts or from particular muscle groups. I know you, we've start, kind of such on that. I guess that relates. It totally relates. 
So an intercession, or phrased another way, um, uh, uh, between exercise MRV is how much volume can you handle on one exercise so that you can effectively recover to present an overload on another exercise? Of this with, again, junior routine design or program design where they'll violate this idea. They'll say, okay, I'm going to do pull-ups, bent rows, and then chest work. I'm going to do a bunch of chest work and it's going to be a great chest workout. Like, look, after pull-ups <laughs> and bent rows, you're not going to do a whole lot of much else. You're just going to be so tired. You're not going to be recovered enough to present a sufficient overload to your chest musculature. You've exceeded your within session MRV. You know, at some point that does become a reality. Now for some things, it doesn't really ever become a reality. And you could just keep hammering your arms as long as you want. But there are some things in which, especially for larger, stronger lifters, that becomes a serious concern. Legs, you do deadlifts, you do squats. If you can only deadlift or squat heavy in a session, you can't do both. And, uh, you know, whatever exercise comes first pretty much means everything else go to hell. And you can still do other movements, but you've got to take serious considerations. You can't just jumble and arrange like another junior program design, a bunch of leg presses and then deadlift right after. Wow, that's insane, right? You're not going to go anywhere after a bunch of leg presses. You might still want to squat for some metabolite accumulation. You're certainly not going to be able to squat super heavy. So it's a consideration for sure. Now, truth be told, the within session MRV is usually much higher. If you go to that MRV, it's usually much higher than your weekly MRV. So if you really push it that hard, you're not going to be able to survive that over a long time. But there are some exercises, even for individuals that aren't super well trained or super gigantic, squats, overhead presses, bench presses, leg presses, deadlifts, in which where that exercise is in the program and do you want to really do a good job at it does absolutely matter for program design. At some point, you can't just keep going. And on a very similar note, of, uh, you know, um, antagonistic supersets, so you basically like do a push and then do a pull and do legs and then do an arms. And people say like, it's a great way to save time and it's great for training. And then you'll say, well, it reduces how much weight you can use on either of the movements. And I've actually heard people retort online said, you know, it doesn't reduce my, uh, my strength that much. And I just want to be like, my God, you're fucking weak. Like, <laughs> you just, you, this is not something you're going to be able to get. It's like a beginner saying, I don't follow nutrition principles at all. And I'm still growing muscle. Well, good. You're just going to stop in six months. And you're going to be there with the rest of us trying to figure out how to actually do shit correctly. You know, when you get strong enough, like, I just can't, I just imagine like, Jared, can you imagine someone doing a, like a, a barbell bent row, like one set to failure for like for a set and then just going right onto the bench press to try to bench like one set to failure for tens? Highly, highly unimpressive probably. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> okay, I usually get 10 reps. I got three and a half. Exactly. I'm yeah, still yeah. breathing heavy. My back cramped up immediately when I set up my arch for the bench. Like, oops, I guess this doesn't work. It works for general, you know, what, what Dr. Stone used to call adult fitness. Um, you know, just trying to get in shape, move around a bit. It's great. <laughs> but as far as a tool for bodybuilding, um, it's not very effective. And while I'm on this rant, uh, uh, really quick, there has been some confusion lately by individuals. Um, uh, in a, this is a perennial topic of mine, but I've talked about this before. When you begin a discussion on training, you should know what your intentions are and you should know what the other person's intentions are. After debate about, well, okay, this is maximally effective, but who cares? This is just people trying to stay fit. Okay, you have to figure out which one you're talking about. 
Because when I tell people, they say, oh, you know, I love sets. They're super great. And I'm struggling to put on muscle. And I'll say, you should probably stop doing antagonistic supersets. And they'll say, well, you know, like, yeah, I understand, but I'm not a pro bodybuilder. Like, they work great for me. And it's like, yeah, but you're struggling to put on muscle. And I'm trying to give you the better solution here. And they're like, okay, but I don't have the time. And then they, the inevitable conclusion is that you, you simply don't have the time to grow muscle. You don't have the time to do what it takes to grow the muscle. So whenever you're entering a problem of discussing training, you have to ask where on the spectrum of convenience and, and simplicity and ease of use to optimality, you lie. And, and you really want to be uh, training optimally. You've got to start training something like Jared. It's going to take a fucking shitload of time. It takes a lot of thought. You got to make sure to really wake up for the training sessions. There are no shortcuts available. You got to live your life like a machine and then you get to look like Jared, which is, you know, interesting to some people, especially in the, the homosexual pornographic community. Just kidding, Jared. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding at all. I, I'm very, very supportive of, of both the homosexuals and pornography. So I think it's two wins, but, um, <laughs> but in any case, it's just one of those situations where people, you know, they'll see that kind of physique, Jared's kind of physique and sure genetics also at play, but certainly a ton of, very meticulous effort and they'll think, okay, how do I get that? But, but, but I don't want to train more than three days a week. I don't want to be more than 45 minutes away at the gym. Can I fucking hack my way through this? You're not a fucking hacker. Okay. You're not red hat, white hat, black hat. You don't, you do things that are effective. Jared is maximally hacking. Trust me. He doesn't want to be in the gym any more than he has to, but he still spends eight hours a week in the gym. So, you know, when people like say, Oh, you know, but back to back, you know, supersets, they work great for me. And I think they're great. Yeah. If you're not seeking to, you know, improve your appearance a ton, or if you haven't hit a plateau yet, they're awesome to save time and stuff, but don't confuse that uh, for optimality. And a lot of people will get into these discussions. They'll say, well, but who cares what's optimal? Like, I don't, okay. You don't care. Fuck off. Right. Like you don't ever plan on being jacked or super lean. You can be healthy and active and people at work when you're wearing clothes, can't even tell you train. That's it. That's great. But uh, you know, and, that, and, that, and that's not even the, as much a joke as it is just an awesome balanced lifestyle for most people. But I think people get really confused about that. And I'm, I'm sure no less, you know, I've, I've talked about multiple daily training sessions before and someone else says like, Who, who's got time to do that kind of shit? Well, you know, if it's not you, don't even ask that question. Well, unless you're being serious. And then the answer is, well, people who have time to do that, self-answering question. So I feel like people, you know, a, a lot of times will confuse you know, this kind of advice that Jared and I give for optimality, they'll confuse it for like regular public. And they'll say, well, so we're saying that like to get to grow, I have to train twice a day now. No, 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 no. <laughs> no you mean amazing shape and get great results training three times a week. If you want to really up your ante, you got to do what it takes. And, and something that we're anticipating questions about, we haven't received tons of them yet, but we will. Male physique templates of which Jared and I both had uh, engineering input on. Um, we, if you pick the three-day option, there is no advanced option. There's just novice intermediate for the three-day week. And I know people are going to ask, how come there's not a three-day advanced option? Because advanced people don't train three days a week <laughs> because they need more. There's, there's no way for us. We, there's no way for us to figure that out unless, unless we trick people and we'd say three-day option. They download it and it's AM workout, PM workout. And they're like, ah, oh, crap, <laughs> but we're not going to do that. So there's my rant for, for today. I just wanted to touch on the uh, antagonist supersets because I know, um, I don't know if you've seen the study. I can't, I haven't actually looked at it recently, but I know there is a study where it's kind of, they quote it and it's actually beneficial in that kind of um, somehow, I forget exactly the, the reason for it, but because it rests and then you can go into your next one. It's fine for like not major big compound movements. 
Um, so maybe like a lap pull down into maybe a kind of a lighter seated shoulder press might be something okay. And I don't believe the kind of when people, I think some people propose it, but they don't say like it's a superset, like you have to go and rush over to it, but you can rest less than what you would for a typical kind of to do laps and then laps again. Totally true. Absolutely true. Because the amount of systemic fatigue is the same, but you uh, obviate the local fatigue entirely because you use muscles that haven't used, uh, been used yet. So while your lats and your biceps are fucked, your uh, shoulders and your triceps have been resting and they've been resting the entire time you've been doing lat pull downs too. So to contract on your workout times, that's absolutely a great way to do things. Uh, however, that amount of time that you can contract between sets is limited by, uh, you know, what we call systemic disruption or systemic fatigue. You know, when you squat, it's not just your quads that get hit. You're breathing heavy. There's total body lactate accumulation. So when you go to bench press after squatting, none of the same muscles are used, but you are centrally disturbed and you won't be able to do the same amount of weight. Can you imagine, Steve, if I had you do a 15 rep max squat, I gave you only 45 seconds to breathe and I threw you on a bench, how many times can you? So it would be a disaster because you're still really messed up at a central level, all of your systems, including the nervous system. Your nervous system can't exert crazy efforts like that back to back. It needs a break. So definitely, if you're looking to save time, maybe twice a week or three times a week, if you don't, let's say you have half an hour to train three times a week, if you're not using antagonistic supersets, they're incredible. So you're hugely missing out. However, if you want to be the best possible lifter you can, they're not going to take you there. Um, you've got to be a, a little bit more on the side of traditional Awesome. Yeah, because I think some people are under the impression that it's actually beneficial to use them. Whereas you're saying if you've got the time, just do straight sets. It could be beneficial if you are not uh, very so. So it can be beneficial under one circumstance. You are not incredibly strong and the central load, the central disruption of the exercise just isn't that big for you. And what can happen is when the nerve and, and so a, not very strong and you're not super experienced with weights. So when you are lifting heavy weights or you're trying really hard when you're not very experienced and you're pushing, in the laboratory, we tend to see a huge coactivation of pushing and pulling muscles at the same time. So people who don't really know a ton about what they're doing just aren't super experienced with weights. They'll push the bar and they'll also be pulling at it at the same time, you know, just like trying really hard. Like you get this in jujitsu when new people come to roll, they just clamp down and ah, they just like once. It's like being electrocuted, just full muscular contraction. For those individuals, uh, the cool thing that happens is when they use their lats on the lat pull down, the lats tire out a shitload. Then they go to a shoulder press, the lats are still tired, so they can't pull down on the shoulder press as much, so you actually get more reps on the shoulder press. So it's a cool way to obviate that to some extent. Now, of course, when you have more advanced lifters, they don't co-contract nearly as much anymore. So the, what keeps me from shoulder pry lats are pulling too much is that my fucking triceps and shoulders aren't strong enough. And then, and, and in addition to those people who don't lift a ton, the central fatiguing factors aren't really a big deal. And see, if you train clients, if you've had like 40 year old women do a squat set and after the set, they're like, oh, Ooh, that was tough. What's next? And you're like, what the hell? How come you're not bleeding out of your eyes and bobbing? What's the central taxing? It's just really not that high. I mean, it's just the same. If you do wrist curls, it doesn't look great on camera. I'm going to stop doing that. So 
that. But if you do wrist curls, I mean, you don't breathe super heavy after those, but you know, someone's, you know, quad could be as big as your forearm if you're big enough. And then of course you, you can sympathize with them that squats might not be that disruptive. So if you're a beginner, you can't disrupt systemically as much and you have that co-contraction thing going on. So if you fatigue the co-contractors, you can actually get a slight enhancement in performance from lap pull down to bench press and vice versa. So situation uh it, it is absolutely a a, a phenomenon and uh, and then it can be used i suppose to the advantage but, but then again you know for beginners and everything works so who, know, who cares um <laughs> you just have them train and, and they grow so uh, you know just a limitation of, of research but when you do become more advanced you become more strong such methods and this is part of the reason why there might be a little bit more than there should be of a gap between the really jacked bros and the super small, still small, but soon to be bigger science nerds and bros alike misinterpret studies, hopefully not with the help of the authors, because sometimes the authors don't make the proper caveats. But, you know, it'd be studies on untrained college, you know, physical education students. And they kind of like the authors or just the people concluding by reading the study will say, OK, everyone should do that. Well, that's nonsense, right? And so, like, if you tell someone who's, like, you know, a high level, maybe weighs 100 kilos or so and is pretty strong, like, hey, you know, if you did bench press and deadlift back to back, both will go up. They'll just laugh at you. I mean, you just go into any good powerlifting gym. After you deadlift, you mostly just dry heave in the corner and lay around. <laughs> Benching is just completely out of the equation. So, but so, and people will say, you know, like the smaller nerdy lifters will say, I see you're ignoring science. And the big guys will go, see, science is stupid. Of course, neither one of them is correct. Science needs to be applied to the population it's studied, unless it's very general in nature. And also people, you know, science nerds should have a respect for the fact that because mostly research is not on bigger people, they've come to some conclusions that are pretty accurate and don't, can't be just dusted off as people are saying, oh, bros are so stupid. Like, sure, they're really dumb, but a lot of shit they come up with, especially if almost all of them seem to do shit, is stuff that actually makes a difference. Um, and, and once you, you get more jacked, you start to realize, oh shit, the bros are right about some of the stuff. Now, now they're not right about all of it, but some of the stuff is definitely population specific. Awesome. I've actually never heard anyone talk about that kind of study or the antagonistic supersets in that way. And it makes complete sense that um, when you look at the individuals involved that, yeah, it doesn't really apply to a lot of kind of more advanced, well-trained athletes. So yeah, absolutely brilliant. I absolutely love that. Cool. Very cool. I think I just want to go back to Jared and touch on kind of nutrition for this two, like two a day training. Do you have to pay particular attention to that? Or can you still just go by your general kind of protein feedings every like three to five hours? What you do, um, do you pay particular attention now because you have, you're doing the two daily sessions? Uh, yeah, I've definitely focused a little more on it than uh, just kind of getting those, you know, higher micronutrient, higher fiber type carbohydrates, like, you know, low glycemic carbs and stuff because cover between sessions and that's done having those higher glycemic index carbohydrates, you know, peri-workout, so kind of intra, post, stuff like that to really replenish uh, glycogen stores faster. Because if I don't do that and I'm only giving myself six hours between muscle groups, I might get in a meal or something and I have to eat way too much in one session uh, directly post-workout. So is it just carbohydrates that you consider or do you also take on board kind of protein with that? Or is it just the carbs that just to replenish glycogen? 
this is probably going to dive a little more so in depth in sports nutrition. And I take more of a, I guess Mike would say that this is more of a sport athlete approach as far okay. as ratios or concern and stuff like that. Mike, is that correct? Yeah. Have at it, man. I think people want the advanced shit when you're on. <laughs> so I like to abide to the, the uh, ratios of my basically workout nutrition around my AM and PM sessions. Um, there's a basically four to one ratio of my intracarbohydrates, uh, in comparison to my whey protein. Uh, that's to make sure I'm getting carbohydrates readily available and uh, amino acids or protein isn't, uh, slowing down the digestive processes, uh, during my workout. And that's four to one for that reason. And then it's basically the same thing post-workout four to one, three to one ratio of uh, high glycemic carbohydrates to, a fast digesting whey protein or, you know, something of that nature. Uh, after that, I'm, I'm just really, the big thing is not having too many fats in between my sessions because they're going to really slow down the uh, GI tract basically. Okay. And Mike, I mean, you can dive really deep into yeah. that probably Mike. Like, you know, just uh, from a practical perspective, that's another thing people kind of don't understand about multi-session training when they first take a look at it and they see these nutritional um, arrangements and they say, okay, so why aren't you having like much fat in that second meal before you go to the gym two hours later? Well, you by having a lot of fat, you missed out on a higher glycemic response. Interesting thing about the glycemic index, it's almost completely useless when you're talking about regular health and just regular once a day training. And this becomes very useful when you're talking about multiple daily training for the same amount of carbohydrates replenish glycogen faster and more completely. Same amount of carbs. That's important. So if you eat a lot of fat in that meal, eat a lot of fiber and the carbs are low glycemic, you're on your way to health and all that goodness, but you're not <laughs> replenishing carbohydrates as fast. You're not replenishing glycogen as fast and, and not, as, not as, as completely. In addition to that, if you have lots of fat, still digesting those carbohydrates when you hit your second session, instead of having them had been long digested and assimilated either to blood glucose or better yet into your blood muscle glycogen, and then you would benefit from them. So when you train multiple times a day, Timing becomes a serious consideration, not so much that it makes the huge differences in outcomes, but it makes small and meaningful differences in outcomes. And if you fuck it up, you definitely can tell <laughs> and uh, you just don't have the greatest workouts ever. And I'll put this in another way. Sure. If you're splitting up your daily sessions, you already give a shit. So in nature, your nutrition ends up with that too. You know what I mean? Because someone say, oh, who cares? Just eat, just IFYM it. Just eat whatever you want when through the day. Yeah, but then why are you training twice a day? You know what I mean? Like we just train once a day then if you're going to go that far. So the details start to matter a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would say that if you, know, if you have to ask the question of, you know, am I serious enough to train twice a day? Ask yourself if you're serious enough to eat fat. And if the answer is no, just train once a day. It's not worth it. But if the answer is yes, you might as well eat for that as well and start to really fine-tune your eating around that. Cool. So if I do, I'm going to try and – this might help the listeners, and it's going to help me because I'm going to put it to an example of my own training and how I've been doing it because I've only been doing this twice daily for kind of less than two weeks now. So essentially I do an AM session 
and then a PM session kind of six hours later. My morning workouts, like my isolation work essentially. So if I'm doing a push, then it's kind of triceps. And then later on, I'll do my actual chest work. I've been approaching it is kind of in the morning, getting up and having kind of some sh- a shake and some carbs. Then about three hours later, I train. Hours later, I train, uh, do that lighter workout. And then as soon as I get back, I'm having an actual meal, solid meal. So I'm assuming that is already something that could be altered to be more effective rather than having a solid meal that could be changed to being something kind of faster digesting. Is that right? You can have a solid meal. It just has to be a little bit more fast digesting than slow sure. digesting. So you don't want like the fastest thing ever because you just have to eat again much sooner. But, it, you know, it, can, it shouldn't be like, you know, uh, something super low glycemic with tons of fat and fiber. It can be fat, you know, um, a, a meal based in white potatoes, some ketchup and some egg whites. I mean, that's a solid meal, but that's all really very fast. I guess. Brilliant. Yeah, um, that helps me because I've actually probably been doing the complete opposite and having the, the higher fat, the slower <laughs> glycemic meal with loads of veggies. And like, I haven't changed my breakfast. It's essentially set, stayed the same and I've just moved it um, to being there. So, no, that helps. And hopefully I'll see the benefits of that. So far, I've really enjoyed the two daily sessions. I've had much more intensity, especially for body parts that I think a lot of people kind of miss kind of the abdominals my calves often when i when i come to those at the end of my workout most of the time so it's like don't really want to do those cool so is there anything else you guys want to add to the am and pm sessions or like the two daily sessions (laughs) or or do you want to go on to another topic Uh, i've covered what i can cover i think (laughs) Mike. cool mike oh, i always think mike's paused um oh, is it? <laughs> yeah it's, well it's video is not moving so <laughs> oh there we go There's i'm back <laughs> oh hey yeah you guys were all talking like robots for a second um <laughs> you know jared you structure your workouts with the harder stuff in the morning yeah i was i was gonna ask steve about that right yeah i was gonna ask steve about uh, his because he said he was doing isolation work in the morning yeah, and I mean, I've, I've actually done that if I'm training two a days on a, a leg training day and I, I hate training legs in the morning. I completely hate it. So I've structured uh, delt and bicep uh, training sessions in my AM sessions if I'm doing that on my leg training days and I've done, you know, legs in the PM. But even then, like if I am deadlifting heavy that day, I'll just try to avoid an AM session with delt and biceps altogether because I'm not trying to blow my bicep off the bone or something crazy, you know. So I think the only time I'd really put my isolation work before my heavy work would be if I was doing a leg training session later on. The day. Okay, I understand. Yeah, I mean, I in the ideal world, I was planning to do my heavy ones early. But like you said, I kind of, because I, I was used to doing my it all later, my heavy, just my entire session later. I was like, oh, I'll do Definitely, my early yeah. stuff early and then the other stuff later. But I can understand that I'm pre-fatiguing stuff for that session. Yeah, for sure. And, and the whole point of it is for the intensity, uh, you know, benefits. And that's if you're basically training the secondary pushing groups, let's say, on your on your bench day first, then I don't know if the intensity, uh, you know, is going to be good enough per session to for that. Yeah, so – Steve, one thing you could try 
is training. If you, if you want to continue to train the smaller muscle groups earlier and the large muscle groups later, what you can do is restructure your training to uh, do antagonistic muscle groups early For to sure. late. So like you have a, a big chest workout on Monday night, Tuesday morning, you can do a bit of tricep and shoulder work stuff you didn't get. Tuesday night, big back workout that doesn't really use your shoulders and triceps. Wednesday morning, biceps and rear delts that you didn't get for back and so on and so forth. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that, that way you do get the two-a-day benefits, but you but you don't have that problem where your you know triceps are still really tired and it's time for you to bench heavy to try to get your chest big. For sure. Probably good I learned that lesson early on within the mesocycle when I'm not trying to push <laughs> like really, really hard. It's still probably... For the, sure. You know, that's, that's a great consideration. I think, yeah, the switching up my AM workouts will really help. Yeah. Um, so if we want to go on to another question, something I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts on is particularly because of the way um, you've structured your templates for hypertrophy in that kind of we're looking to build via sets towards an MRV um, and kind of, yeah, building up according to kind of fatigue markers. So hopefully the first week's relatively easy. You're at your kind of minimal effective dose and then you're moving upwards through it. So obviously volume's coming up. Um, I've definitely seen programs in which you structure using kind of maybe even kind of a 12s day and then a 10s day. And then the next week it might be like eights and sixes and then it goes down again. So intensity is coming up, but overall volume seems to be coming down. What are your thoughts on that kind of periodization model? Obviously, that's kind of typical linear periodization through that mesocycle. Kind of what are your thoughts on that sort of programming? I think Mike could dive into really specifics. I think I see an issue, uh, kind of. And really, it's, it's kind of base level. Uh, chasing reps, I think, is going to lead to the accumulation of fatigue. A little too quickly uh, if you're if you say you have to hit this set you have to hit this 12 reps you have to hit this you know eight reps you're kind of throwing aside the concept of how close to failure you might be and then overloading the next microcycle could potentially be a little messed up so if your proximity to failure was like four from failure for that first set then two from failure on that second set and then you're trying to get 12 again you got to get 12 and you failed and maybe you even got to you know assist it a little bit on one of your reps your fatigue's going to accumulate more rapid, rapidly and you could potentially become an issue in the later weeks, you know? So I think the uh, from failure technique that we use kind of allows for a proper stimulus to avoid unwanted fatigue accumulation. And I mean, Mike, you could probably dive deeper into that, but that's just the no, big I, problem that I would see with that. I see. Yeah. I mean, that's a distinct <laughs> uh, concern. Another concern is this. I think it always helps to come back to the principles on everything. Whenever I make any recommendation, I ever write it down in a book or an article, I always rescan it. Does that align with the training principles and the basics mm -hmm. about what we know? If it doesn't, we have a serious problem and they may be caveats to it. There may be obvious, maybe we can get around it, but there had better be a good reason. So here's an example. You ask someone, what is the fundamental as long as we are training heavy-ish, as long as it's heavier than 20 reps or something, what is the fundamental driver of hypertrophy? Steve, what is the answer to that question? Volume. Correct. 
do we believe in the principle of overload and that you can get used to a stimulus and you need more of that stimulus to continue to progress? Yes. If we don't, we have much serious, more and more serious issues and we need to back up on that front. So insofar as volume is the primary stimulus of hypertrophy and insofar as we do believe the overload principle applies, are we overloading volume through the mesocycle of 12s, 8s, 6s, 4s, deload, repeat? We're not, right? I mean, it's straightforward. So the next question is, what does that kind of mesocycle actually overload? Is the weight getting heavier? Yes. Is volume the overwhelming driver for strength adaptations? No, that's intensity. Is it a pretty good strength program? Mm -hmm. Sure. Totally. Now, we can critique how good of a program it is on strength because there's a bit too big of a rep range variance. There's a lot of neural adaptation that has to occur just to get you used to those reps. You know, like... If you've got sets of fives to do, but the next week you got sets of threes and the week before sets of eight, you're just getting used to the heavy weight of sets of eight. Fives are super fucking shocking, but they're not nearly as shocking as threes. You kind of just end up treading water the entire time and playing catch up. You know, mm-hmm. e- e- even if you like to undulate and vary quite a bit, which you sure, sure can, there needs to be a rough similar average repetitions week to week to week. So you can really get at the meat of the shit, right? <laughs> you can really get good at lifting like that. Um, but so the problem that's a more advanced critique but the most basic one for why don't you just use that for hypertrophy your performance is going to continue to go up another cool feature of a program like that your fatigue actually drops throughout the metal cycle you front load your fatigue and then it starts to drop off you will have great prs in sets of fours or whatever in that last week you're going to be the man mm-hmm. but that's not the point <laughs> the point is you want to get bigger you're not going to feel great in the last week at all but you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to be fucking huge <clears throat> Like, that's what we really want. So if it's a hypertrophy program, we just go straight to the principles. Does it incrementally increase volume and at least not drop intensity a lot or stay intensity at the same or increase intensity a little bit? If the answer to that is yes, we have a fundamentally good program. If it doesn't even increase volume over the weeks, I mean, fuck Steve and Jared, what the, where do we go from there? I mean, it's out of the window See, I, already. Yeah, I looked at it the same way, but then I just – already kind of saw people saying, well, I'm looking at it as, you know, I'm increasing my, my sets. I'm also increasing the intensity per week. So someone might do two sets of 12 and then let, you know, they end with like six sets of six or something. So that way they're saying exactly. And that's, that's why, that's why I mentioned the fatigue accumulation. Now that's going to lead to potentially, (laughs) especially if you're dieting down. So I just didn't see it as a fundamentally, you know, sound program to do for hypertrophy at all. Totally. Yeah. So you're actually making, you know, what at face value would look like an intelligent adjustment and saying, okay, we can save the volume. We can still up the volume if we just do more and more sets. But my but God, fatigue. that can be really quick because now you're exactly. doing, we know that intensity is independently contributor to fatigue. And, yep. uh, you know, if you did two sets of 12, that could be easily recoverable. Four sets of eight, a whole lot harder. And six sets of five or whatever mm-hmm. is just a dying disaster. So as you're accumulating fatigue, you accumulate even more fatigue and you go zoop like that. And all of a sudden you're not even treading water anymore. So, <laughs> uh, but again, again, People conflate how they feel on a program with the actual, you know, mechanistic consequences of that program. You will feel great at the end of a program like that if it doesn't increase the set numbers, right? So if it's three by 12, three by eight, three by six, deload, three by six, you're going to be on fire. You're going to feel great. But is feeling great the purpose of a program? It's not. So, yeah, after a taper, it's basically like doing a taper every mm-hmm. single mesocycle, like a mini taper. 
It, it can, you know, is the, if the average volume load is decent, can you still get big and strong? Sure. Is it optimal? Absolutely not. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you covered that because I see that, that style of programming a lot. And I think it's based maybe a lot on kind of, I mean, a lot of periodization models are based on strength training. Uh, that is kind of where a lot of literature is. And we don't have any kind of literature on bodybuilding periodization to a large degree. And I think a lot of Renaissance, the stuff you're putting out is kind of the first I've seen where it's like, yeah, it's actually volume comes up through mesocycles and through the mesocycles. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. It's great that you bring that up. People assume that in, in, I've actually had this kind of my writings in our programs and stuff. They say, well, I thought that the intensity was supposed to go up and volume was supposed to go down. I thought that was periodization. That's periodization for power enhancement. Uh, it is not periodization even for strength, though that would apply to strength as well for the most part. It's by no means clear that that's a periodization for, for hypertrophy. You would need a different periodized structure. Periodization just means a logical sequencing of structures using phase potentiation to get the maximum goal. Mm -hmm. It does not inherently imply that you're supposed to be doing one thing or another. It just means your blocks need to add up to make sense. And for hypertrophy outcome, uh, you don't, there's no, nothing says you have to decrease intensity as you go. Matter of fact, mm -hmm. it's quite the other way around. Mm -hmm. So, so that's definitely worth a concern is before you just accept a periodization model, ask where that model came from. And I'll tell you another thing, Steve, one of those reasons I think that those programs survive as long as they do. A lot of them are like free internet programs, you know, like, you know, 10, 10, eight, six or whatever, that kind of stuff. People, it's a supply and demand issue. People want to train heavy and they get bored often but they also want to get a pump. So what do you do? You put all that shit in the same fucking mesocycle. 12, you get a big pump. And you're like, fuck this, bro. Let's go heavier next week. Oh, shit, the program says eights. Eights are great. Then you go, oh, man, I'm really tired. Fuck, I just want to show off a little bit. You hit sixes and you get to show off and it's awesome. And you're like, fuck, man, my joints hurt. I got to go back to 12s. Hey, guess what? After DLO, you go back to 12s, right? So it's kind of like a miniature version of this whole progression all in one. Keep, keeps people entertained. It's awesome. It's fun. And you know what? It works really well. But if you want it to work the best, you're going to have to do the same style of training within each mesocycle, if not several mesocycles in a row. Cool. Yeah, I definitely see those sort of programs out there and kind of they, they are really popular. And I think it's because, like you said, in that final week before deload, or maybe they don't even deload because they don't feel that bad. Sure. Uh, they feel strong and maybe they are hitting PRs. And whereas when you do a accumulation via volume, you you don't hit kind of PRs at the end. You kind of everything sucks. <laughs> yeah, or you hit small PRs, but you feel like shit. Um, mm. And then you know, but 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 then then you look in the mirror and you're jacked as hell, and you're like, well, that that's exactly what I wanted. Right? <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of times people enter. Um, Jared can probably speak to this a lot because he he deals with a lot more people face to face like that. Uh, Jared, can you tell, can you want to hit on like your experience with people who ask you for advice, but they don't really know if they want to get jacked or strong or to what degree they want either one of those two things? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, I mean, this is really how you said it. People just, they want to look jacked all the time and it's kind of, they're missing out of that face potentiated sequence. So for me to kind of cop out of a low volume resensitation phase, because I'm kind of scared of a short-term loss and like acute hypertrophy from the swelling and everything. It's mostly a, an issue in my psychology that maybe I don't actually want to get bigger maybe, or in the long term, I just, I just really just want to look good all the time. And I don't, 
I'm not interested in the best long-term performance. I'm not interested in the best long-term what I could do with my physique. I'm just interested in this is how I look now, and I am not willing to put this effort in to get this outcome later on. Yeah. People just really intertwine their goals so, like, over and over. (laughs) And then you you got the other crowd, the opposite of that, and both people can occupy the same space within a matter of two weeks. Oh, yeah. Um, You have the opposite crowd, which you start training them for hypertrophy, and they're like, man, I kind of want to see what my 5RM is on bench, or I kind (laughs) of want to max out. What the fuck's wrong with Mm -hmm. you? Like, uh, yeah, you can just have it all. They're like, really? How? And you just start walking away and never talk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's a little rude. No, but, uh, you know, it's one of those situations like, yeah, I mean, you can do a combination program, but to think that you're going to get the best results in either one of those, is just not the case. Um, and I think uh, I've also run into the issue. People are scared that, you know, oh, well, if I'm focusing on this, this is going to happen. I'm getting, you know, weaker because I'm uh, the volume's higher and they don't think that they're training with this heavier weight. But, you know, or vice versa, if they're looking smaller to, for the strength adaptations, it's kind of diving into that residual effect, adaptive decay, you know, training principle that we know about it's certain things maintain others while we're training them. So strength is going to maintain hypertrophy indefinitely. You could do, you know, three sets of five uh, per muscle group and, and most of your adaptations for hypertrophy are going to be maintained. And people just aren't willing, like I said, to miss out on that acute hypertrophy from the swelling and stuff. And it really just gets psychology a lot. Yeah, as soon as guys aren't catching regular pumps anymore, they think they're just shaking. <laughs> but, the, but then you, sure. they do that for three months straight, and they're like, okay, so I was 232. I stopped getting pumps. I was 228. But then I've just been 228 for three months, and it looks like I didn't stop losing any muscle. Well, yeah, when you do sets of sixes and eights and fives, you don't lose any muscle. You don't get any more jacked, but you get crazy strong. And when you go back to mm-hmm. training with higher volumes, they work better because you're so resensitized to them. But people can't bite the bullet on that. Yeah. Um, a similar, you know, I had a really uh, popular Facebook post a while back of people who <laughs> uh, kind of refuse to put in the long-term work uh, to get results that are sort of counterintuitive. Like a lot of guys where they weigh like 150, 160, or was in, you know, in UK terms would be like, what, uh, 60, 60 to 80 kilos somewhere, uh, maybe 70 kilos. Mm-hmm. And you tell them, hey, listen, you know, they, they, they read an article on the P ratio and they say, okay, so it looks like I'm 17% fat and to really gain a whole lot more muscle without getting much fat, I'd have to be like closer to 11%. And they say, is that true? And you say, that's correct. And they say, that means I have to cut. You go, that's correct. And they're like, but I'm so small. Uh, yeah. How am I supposed to cut? <laughs> Well, pretend that nobody gives a shit about you to begin with, which is true. Uh, this includes everyone <laughs> on earth, by the way. Fundamentally, nobody gives a shit about anybody else unless you're your loved ones. Mm-hmm. And your mom doesn't give a shit about how fucking <laughs> strong you are. Uh, pretend that no one cares. And second of all, pretend that you have to do what you have to do to get as good as you can in the long term. Right? Then as long as you pretend those two things, it's all easy. <laughs> okay? I think guys legitimately think, because guys are like, Girls are nuts about wanting to be skinny. Guys are just as nuts oftentimes about wanting to be big. Mm-hmm. Motherfuckers will go to work in like a shirt and think, oh my God, everyone's judging me for being small. Nobody gives a fuck about you. <laughs> Nobody's judging you for shit. Nobody cares. They look at you and they go fucking, you know, look at that, you know, fucking asshole, regular white dude. They probably <laughs> like Trevor or Josh or Zach. <laughs> and that's all they talk about you all day. They're not like, oh, wow, I wonder, you know, can you imagine someone coming up to you? Like you're just like, you know, like stacking boxes at work and they come up to you at work and they tap you on the shoulder. You know, like, yeah, what can I help you with? And you're like, 
they're like, yeah, you know, I feel like a couple of weeks ago, I come to the store often, by the way, you kind of had a bit more fullness in the size, but now you <laughs> seem to have withered away a bit. What's up with that? You could be like, oh my God, fuck it. How can I like, happen? I knew everyone was watching. And they're like, <laughs> they turn around and all the other members of the store are zombies. And they look at you too. And they're like, we've all been thinking the same thing about you, Steve. You're just not as big as you used to be, Steve. What happened to your periodized model, Steve? Why aren't you training like an athlete, Steve? And you're like, ah, but but the truth is that's never going to fucking happen. And if it does, it sounds like a great horror movie. <laughs> Nobody cares. So do what it takes in the long run. Fuck. I mean, the number of times that between the two of us, Jared and I have either been called too fat or too skinny is like, Jared, how many times are people like you're like your face is fuller on a mass phase and they're like, oh man, you look so much better in November or whatever. How many times that happened to you now? Yeah, just my girlfriend. <laughs> this is getting like really personal and really sad yeah you actually you just brought up a bad subject no no, no that's never happened that's never happened that's never that's right there you go no but it's just like people will people think that everyone's kind of you know uh that everyone gives a shit and people will say things every now and again but you know who cares you got to do what it takes to be good in the long term so if the science says and the practice says that you you gotta suck it up and not be your strongest all the time if you want to get bigger or concomitantly not be your most pumped all the time if you're training for strength, that just comes with the territory, man. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't like everything about going to work, but you go to work because you got to have a job. So people look look at the stuff and they say, how can I get the best of both worlds? Well, good luck. Um, That's it. It's like the whole trying to recomp someone in advance, trying to gain muscle and lose fat at the same time. It's not, it's just not, you have to pick something and be specific about it. That's like the number one principle is specificity. So yeah, I see it. I see it all the time with powerlifters who don't want to go through kind of work capacity, hypertrophy box. They're just continually hammering heavy weights and then bodybuilders the same, but the opposite, they don't want to do kind of low volume maintenance phases. That sounds like not mm-hmm. moving forwards and i've tried to change 100%. this and call it like a priming block so rather than calling it like a maintenance block i'm like right guys like totally good builders, idea. this is a muscle priming block it's going to prime you for future muscle growth which it is but it sounds yeah. a bit better <laughs> no that really is good you know we use the term sensitization but that's also a bit of a brainy mm. term a lot of people are probably like i don't know what the fuck that is but <laughs> priming sounds really great we're just gonna steal that from you <laughs> um yeah there's yeah. been a discussion already, already inserted <laughs> nice. <laughs> On all the templates. Um, yeah, we've just been uh, revive stronger <laughs> shit. I've just been <laughs> erasing revive stronger and putting it. Hard. Um, but uh, you know, like you know, Alan Aragon and a couple other people were going about this a couple weeks ago on uh, social media, talking about recomping. And Alan finally got to this point where he was just like, "Guys, look, does recomping happen? Yeah, sure. Like, but if you've been training a while, it's just not the best idea." And, and then everybody and their brother came on that thread and were like, oh, I just recomped and it worked great. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, it would have been better if you didn't recomp. That's what yeah. he's saying. Like, totally. And, and, and it's, uh, it's one of those situations where, yeah, you know, it sucks to make that trade-off uh, to temporarily be skinnier or fatter than you wanted mm-hmm. to be. But, you know, nobody said this shit was all fun and games. Um, that's why when anyone compliments me on my physique, I just start yelling at him like, fucking, why, how dare you compliment me? You don't even know the fucking sacrifice this took, brother. <laughs> or if it's a woman, I say sister, you know? <laughs> so, you know, you just gotta, the main point is you just gotta be angry about all this 100% of the time and you use that cortisol <laughs> as a challenge. 
Because you tell people, I got this big, even being angry this whole time and having a high serum cortisol level. Imagine how big I could have been if I was calm. And that <laughs> mind fucks them so hard, no one ever talks to you in the gym again. And finally, you have peace. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. I think the short-term <laughs> mindset kills so many people in just so many aspects of life, but so much so this health and fitness game. Um, totally. Mike, I know you're training soon, so I don't know if you've still got time or should we I got cut a time for another question. I think another one's good. Yeah, I thought a good one to ask because we've kind of been talking about these maintenance periods for bodybuilders and kind of the fact that you may be kind of looking to build strength, but it's not necessarily for that role as we know as a bodybuilder. Um, some people talk about strength potentiating hypertrophy and that if you're stronger, you can lift more weight um, and do more volume because you're lifting more weight. I know we talked about that at the UK conference last uh, this year, way ages ago, in that... Mm -hmm. Every set now, because you're stronger, creates more fatigue, and that fatigue can cut volume. So I don't know if you guys, I know Jared's got some thoughts on this as well, um, just want to have a bit of a, a go at that question. Jared? Uh, yeah, I mean, me and Mike have talked about this before too, I believe. And I think that volume, uh, strength potentiating hypertrophy, and that increasing volume definitely uh, happens up until a certain point when you're so advanced that, like you said, the intensities are causing so much damage per set that your MRV might actually be lower at that uh, advancement of a level of advancement. But I mean, as far as myself, if I, you know, did 310 on bench, then I went to strength phase, I went to this phase potentiated sequence, I came back six months later, 320 for 10, you know, same thing on bench press that's more volume uh, via the increase in intensities used for someone of my, like my advancement level or, or less. I think that strength potentiating hypertrophy and allowing for more volume is definitely something that happens. But uh, I forgot the specifics on our conversation, Mike, and you were telling me how maybe later on uh, it could actually be a lower MRV. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a subject that is, I think people take a lot for granted when they talk about it because everyone who trains to get big also wants to be strong and vice versa. So when you hear this news that strength, uh, that hypertrophy potentiates strength, it's great. And then when you hear the opposite, that strength potentiates hypertrophy, you think, oh my God, it's perfect. I'm skeptical of that. I'm not so sure what to think about that. Um, you know, uh, so let's say Kai Green can bench uh, 200 kilos for sets of 12. And his joints are not very big. That's why he's a good bodybuilder. It's small joints, big muscles. And that's within their capacity to tolerate. Okay, fine. Then he goes through a strength phase and becomes so strong that he can now bench, you know, 200 for sets of 12. Uh, or 15 or you know 220 for sets of 12 now his nervous system is so advanced and his muscle fibers are so well aligned and his technique is so great that he is much stronger and he's so used to high forces that he of course needs even higher forces or at least let's say those same high forces now for high volumes to progress now he might have muscles that are so strong 
they beat up his joints that much more. <laughs> that could be a problem. So now he needs to put his joints aren't doing him any elbow wraps and wrist wraps. And he might used to be able to have trained heavy twice a week, but now he's so strong. He can only train heavy once a week and one and a half times a week. Then eventually just once a week. And that actually might start to limit him uh, into how much more progression he can push. There are some holes to be plugged in that. And, and one of them for the side of does strength potentiate hypertrophy is the following. If you get strong enough and you're strong for a long time, your tendons and ligaments, et cetera, get stronger too. So, you know, you think to yourself, how the hell am I ever going to squat, you know, 150 kilos for sets of 10 when, you know, 150 for three is crushing me? Well, when you squat 160 or 170 for sets of three, coming back down for tens is much easier and your joints are so much stronger. You're so much more stable under heavy loads that you can do a good job. One area in which I think strength definitely potentiates hypertrophy is when you have limiting factor muscle groups that you're not targeting, for example, in squats. Some people say, you know, my legs are pretty strong. I would love tens, but my back gives out. Well, if you get a strong enough deadlift or strong enough squat for low reps, that's not heavy weight to your back anymore. And then your back doesn't give out. Right. Um, so then it's not a limiting factor anymore. And, and so I think that especially if you have some muscles that are further along than others, you might have to make other muscles stronger just to keep up. Uh, so I, I think that on the average of those things balancing out, I'll, I'll, I'll sum up my views on here. When you're starting out, it's probably a good idea to get pretty strong even as you're getting big. And that probably will help you on the net balance. As you get more advanced, more of your training should be hypertrophy specific. And it is by no means clear that there is a net advantage to continually really trying to get strong. Another downside to trying to get super strong when you're a bodybuilder, this only really is an issue when you get really, really strong. Your chances of getting hurt training for that level of strength start to really go up. Mm -hmm. Is it worth it if you have a big show coming up in six months, you pulled out your back doing sets of four in the deadlift, and your competitor that you wanted to beat, he didn't do sets of four in the deadlift, he did sets of eight, or he just like did sets of five, but much lighter just to, you know, just for resensitization. And you look at him and he's training productively again. You're still fucked up and you can't even do the show anymore because you hurt your back that bad. Is it really worth it? Like one of the critiques against uh, Ronnie Coleman back in the day, remember when he squatted like 800 for mm. two or whatever, deadlifted 800 for two. I mean, does that really help him in bodybuilding? The, the answer is almost certainly not. And the fatigue generated, right? Uh, first of all, the fatigue generated. And second of all, the injury risk that comes with that is just absolutely not worth it. So should you push strength and hypertrophy together as a young developing bodybuilder? Yes, because you need to have muscles and nervous systems strong enough to put in the work. Get really, really strong. The amount of strength training you do starts to get hot, lower to make room for more hypertrophy and because it just ends up not being worth the trade-off after a while. Ta-da. Cool. Mm -hmm. Thoughts? No, I like it. Um, and I think, yeah, just a lot of people kind of, I think a lot of the time it's kind of a byproduct that you get strong from getting bigger and people kind of, yeah, they get those two kind of muddled up. Um, 
and the low volume block as you guys use it isn't necessarily like to get super strong it's to allow resensitize things to yeah neuroendocrine alterations uh resensitize you know ampk mtor uh re replenish substrates glycogen stuff like that yep so after that roll of volume block you're really just more ready for high volume training and ready to benefit from it then you are like a ton stronger but if you mm -hmm. do a bunch of low volume blocks in sequence you start getting really yeah. really strong but then you're kind of a power lifter or a strong yeah. man or something then you really are training for that stuff cool and i guess in if it, if people can think of it as like the fact that we deload after like an accumulation of four weeks that's like a, a mini resensitization period where you're letting fatigue drop down so after you do lots of hypertrophy blocks in sequence so it the deloads aren't enough. You need to take a longer period of time to let everything calm down. To some, so, to some extent, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a very good analogy. Cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So I think, should we cut it there, guys? Um, maybe do this sure. again in future if Jared's up for coming on again? Yeah, definitely. Jared's awesome. always up for coming. <laughs> <laughs> on oh, again. On God. again. You guys are perverts. I said coming on again. <laughs> oh, it was it was it was lagging sentence. again. It was just it lagging. Was lagging. It was the system. Yeah. It's Skype. Come on, bro. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want everyone to know that you can check out more from Jared and Mike on Renaissance Periodization. I also put uh, Jared and Mike's kind of Facebook details below. They've got these physique templates which cover a lot of. Well, they do what we've kind of talked about. Um, they give you a program to kind of plug in and go and customize for yourself. I know it's kind of, you can even do focus areas and yep. advanced templates, novice templates. They've got the work. So uh, that's really exciting. I hope they're doing well, guys. They are doing exceptionally well. And sure. people are buying up like crazy. They're actually doing better than we anticipated, which is impressive. And people, uh, the feedback seems to be really awesome on them so far. And sure. and no bullshit, you know. I don't like figure okay, like yeah, make money off these things. Of course, I'm going to say that. Like we've had other products that weren't that great. I thought the evening hunger templates were going to sell through the roof, and they just totally shit the bed. <laughs> Nick still won't let me uh, have it about those. But um, you know, uh, this is really one of those stellar products. Uh, the product in which is actually based. Funny enough, it's like a a very reverse of human history. Generally, males are more privileged and get things first. Females actually went out. For us, we had the female yes. templates <laughs> long before, and it's based on the same similar kind of arrangement, a much more uh, particular differences, of course. Mm -hmm. The female physique templates were just a total knockout product. I mean, the reviews about them were just like, that's unbelievable, I'm getting super jacked, and they're super easy to use, and they're really straightforward. So the male physique templates are have all that going for them because they're built, built in the same architecture, but they're built... Um, with with a ton of more male sort of oriented goals and male physiology in mind. And one thing I have to say, public service announcement. I keep waving my hand around. It looks like a dying pigeon or something. I'm sitting. Doesn't this look like I'm in the mafia and you guys can't tell who I really am? <laughs> blacked out face. Yeah, like I uh, used to be Dr. Mike Israel, but I got into some trouble. So I, I'm at a, like a CIA black site. So anyway, um, here's the deal. There's a rating system in the templates great thing about the rating system it's auto regulating so if you're getting sore and you're getting super beat up you rate it and it brings your volume back down to make sure you're recovering and if it's not hard enough if you're not really feeling much it brings your volume up for you so it's always trying to find your mav your maximum adaptive volume that's what we made it find and hopefully by the end it'll find your mrv and then you deload okay that's what it does it snakes towards the good stuff so you can have the best results but it only does that if you're honest. So the public service announcement is 
rate the ratings, honestly. We've had now females are not as ego driven as men, not even close. But we've even had some problem with female <laughs> clients being like, I'm really beat up. And we're like, how have you been rating the templates? They're like, why well, just keep rating them one? One means it increases sets for the next week, right? And, and, and they were like, so, but you have been really sore and beat up. They're like, oh my God, I can barely move. So why the hell did you rate it a one? Well, I figured I'd get better results if I rated it higher. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, that's not how it works, right? You're rate, the, the concept of MRV, well, I, actually, I actually coined the term to keep people from training too much. Because MRV, the first statement it says, if you train more than you can recover from, you just get worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. So people, public service announcement, when you get these templates, don't compare with your friends. Oh, have you been rating plus ones or minus ones? Who gives a shit? That's all about you. The more honest you can be, the better the templates <laughs> work do. And it's not, it's not about like, oh, yeah, man, I got all the way up to eight sets of squats. Isn't that crazy? Hey, if you're getting great results, wouldn't it be sweet to just have to do three sets of squats? That would be amazing. You'd win all the like, victories, right? So just rate it according to how you are surviving it, how you're perceiving it, not what anyone else says or not your own ideas of look like I better fucking rate it to have more volume because then I'll just be a world champ. Boy, if doing more work, hey, Jared, if just doing more work got you better linearly, what would you be doing right now? Uh, curling while on this podcast. <laughs> curling while on podcast. Exactly. Because my biceps was, suck. Oh, my God. This is, uh, Steve, this is, uh, this is, we can't, we, every, every time we have this discussion, Jared thinks he has small arms. He's literally insane. He's actually getting admitted to a psychiatric institution <laughs> where we're just going to show him pictures of Rich Piana all day with his eyes, like, open, held open to indoctrinate him into thinking he has big arms. One day you may, Jared. I'm trying. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I use it. I mean, ever since looking at your, I got the strength, the, the powerlifting templates a, a long time ago, they were out and they used this similar racing system. I've been using that similar system with my clients. Obviously, I, I check in with them as well. I talk to them and sure. I'm always like, you have to be honest with me. How are you really feeling? Um, because a lot of them are like, I want more. I want more. Uh, but yeah, I can definitely attest to the fact that if people are honest through rating it, I mean, I've used one of the, the strength templates a while ago. It, it works really well and you should just don't get carried away because I think people are tempted to, as ever people are. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I'll leave it there, guys. And thank you very much for joining us. And thank you to everyone tuning in. We do still have questions that Mike will get to. Um, it may, I don't know when we're next schedule a podcast. It we may could probably be do next week, year. man. I'm good. In, I'm good in next week if you if you are. So let's talk about cool. that. Send me an email and, uh, or send me a Facebook message and we'll sort it out. But we can probably do it sooner than later. Awesome. Well, that's great, guys. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll catch you soon. Cheers, Thanks Jared. so much for having us. Yeah, thanks.